we're on. Welcome, everyone. Today on the podcast, we have Philip Manokin, the head of BD oh. of Block Wallet, joining us to talk about privacy, MDD, and their wallet. So, welcome. Thank you, Bon. So before we start, as usual, let's just go through with the disclaimers, ladies and gentlemen. Nothing said here is to be taken as financial advice. Myself and my relations may or may not have positions invested in the projects interviewed on this podcast. Do your own research and this podcast is simply for educational and entertainment purposes. So having gotten that out of the way, let us give um, an introduction for Block Wallet. So Block Wallet is a wallet that uses privacy-enhancing smart contracts to make your crypto transfers as private and as secure as bank transfers. The fact that one could always would always leave a trail of digital information on the blockchain means that anyone can find and see what dApps one has used, transfers one has made, and the crypto asset one holds. Obviously, that is a bit of a problem. Block Wallet is here to solve that problem. So I'm very interested in this podcast and in this episode because I think privacy is very important. Privacy is certainly very important to me. And I think it should be important to anyone working in the blockchain and crypto industry. Privacy to me is one of those um, ancient things that constitutes the very fabric of freedom. And unfortunately, in my, unfortunately, at least in my view, man cannot create privacy. He can only exchange it for something else, which is why you have the famous um, Benjamin Franklin aphorism that any, somebody who uh, sacrifices uh, freedom for safety does, would get neither freedom nor safety. So... And I suppose most, uh, a lot of the crypto people in crypto would um, resonate with that philosophy. Having said that, there's a lot of things still to build um, in terms of the crypto infrastructure to actually meet that philosophy. So this is why Block Wallet appeals to me. But its appeal may be lost to a lot of people who have been, become accustomed to the loss of privacy. So to begin, perhaps let us discuss the motivations and background of this project. Um, so Philip, can you... Give us an introduction about yourself and how do you get into crypto? What is the motivation for building Block Wallet? Sure. Um, so I've been in crypto since 2017 bull run. Um, what attracted me to crypto is, you know, the idea of, you know, serving people who are not currently being served with the current financial system and providing them with the, you know, opportunities to participate. Um, the way I joined Block Wallet, you know, I I just realized that. You know, crypto was taking too much attention from my life. So I decided to make a move from my regular life towards crypto. Um, I started working with DAOs and then uh, DAOs were nice, but I, I, I was missing, you know, the structure, um, having a proper team and so on. And so I started looking for other options. I came across Block Wallet. Um, they were just launching. Uh, the product wasn't out yet. They just held their um, IDO. So it was a perfect time to join. And... Yeah, I jumped in. Um, as far as the backstory of the product, um, I think it's quite interesting. Um, one of our founders was spending a lot of time on Twitter. And so, as, as you know, all those influencers, you know, they post about, you know, what tokens they, they buy, their positions, and so on and so forth. If until, 20, if until you know, DeFi summer 2020, that was fine because everyone was trading on centralized exchanges. With DeFi summer it brought a lot of changes as far as, you know, how people trade. A lot of people went from trading um, on centralized exchanges towards trading on DEXs. And so with that, they uh, they made themselves exposed to, to the public. Um, and so what, what one of our founder, founders did, he was pretty much, you know, scrolling through, uh, through the Twitter, looking at the post, and then 
um, going on Etherscan, searching for those wallets that you know would have those tokens or would purchase certain tokens at a certain time. Um, and then he would put those you know wallets on notifications and just copy trade those influencers. Um, it was a pretty successful strategy for him because uh, he was able to buy right away and sell right away as well. Um, and so, you know, he kind of realized that um, there is this there is this area in crypto that is still um, hasn't been taken care of, which is, you know, privacy on chain. I mean, crypto is anonymous, but the problem is that the more breadcrumbs, the more breadcrumbs you leave behind you, um, you know, the more association you build around you and your wallet, and it's it's easier for people to, to build that connection. And, you know, the more we thought about um, privacy, uh, we just realized how, how, how much more important it is beyond trading on DEXs. Um, and, you know, here we could talk about, um, you know, sending funds to your friends or family, um, paying for, you know, for goods at, you know, at, at a physical location or e-commerce store, uh, payroll and so on and so forth. And so the idea was born to create um, a privacy wallet that would provide people, you know, with a with a, with a level of privacy that's sufficient for them to you know to operate in crypto. I see. Can you give us a simple case for those who are not evangelized or, or those who are uh, accustomed to the loss of privacy? Why sure. does privacy matter? For sure. So let's say I was I, I was to send you I don't know. 200 USDT because we we're going for a conference and you bought a ticket for both of us, right? And then I had to, you know, pay you back. Or maybe we rented Airbnb together and then, you know, you paid for the Airbnb and I, I have to transfer you some money to pay you back. Um, currently for me, all my funds are, they stored on chain. So what I would normally do, I would, you know, take some ETH or take some USDT and just send it to you. What you could do from your end, you could um, take a look at the at the uh, transaction uh, at the transaction on either scan. You'd be able to find, you know, my, my wallet address. Then you could go and see all my holdings, what I buy, what I sell, when I do that. Um, and this is quite concerning because you know, with that, you'd be able to look into my net worth, look into how much I make, and so on and so forth. This does not happen with banks because, you know, when, when you transfer funds between banks or like PayPal or whatever, um, none, none, none of that is on public ledger, right? But with crypto, it is. So that's one example. Another example could be, let's say um, you're a founder of a crypto project and you have to pay your employees or you have to pay, you know, contractors and, and stuff like that. Chances are most of your funds are going to be in crypto. So you're going to make those payments in crypto. Um, and same thing goes here. Uh, you say, you know, you send the payroll to your to your employees. They take a look at your wallet. They see how much funds you have. You they see like how how much money you transfer every month to different addresses, and then, you know, like we don't live in isolation. So I I know what kind of coins my coworkers own. So I would be able I would be able to go through those addresses, find you know, um, wallets that could be my coworkers' wallets, and then you know see the how much they make. And so on and so forth. It's just not. It it doesn't do any 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 good here. Um, creates animosity and stuff like that. So that would be another great example. And the very simple one that I I, I really like to to give is like 
when you go to Starbucks and you pay for your coffee, let's say you pay with a bank card, barista doesn't get to know how much you own, how much you know you spend, how much you save, so on and so forth. With crypto, it's a little bit different. Um, I know that you know crypto payments are not that big yet, but I know that I also know that in Asia, for example, more and more people are using it for you know everyday purchases. They go, they go to supermarkets and stuff like that. So with that, I think it's 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 really dangerous to you know um, just just to to show your financial information to 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 the merchants. And then, and same goes for the merchants. I don't think any merchants want you to know how much money they have and you know their cash flow and stuff like that. Um, so that being said, you know th- there is a huge difference between a banking system and, and, and crypto in the sense that crypto is a public ledger, banking is not. Um, and so in crypto, there is just no, there is no privacy at all. It's it's anonymous, but again, the more evidence you leave online or offline, the easier it is to find you. So I think that this this would be a few examples. That's very interesting. I think the point about the um, how the lack of privacy can generate animosity between, I suppose, especially um, devs in a yep. in a uh, crypto project can be a is something definitely a, a very interesting point because when when things are going great when in a bull market of course devs would be fine because they're getting paid but when things go bad in a bear market as people have talked about uh, recently about the number of um, hacks like if they can see what each other are making and that creates animosity it generates a very nasty dynamic and incentive yeah. for them to just hack the project that they've been building so i suppose let us move and, on to the second yeah, yes, please. I, I I just wanted to say, and it's also just you know, it's not good for 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 the team synergy. It's, I, of course, hacks is one thing, but another thing is if we just talk about projects, you know, and we disregard the 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 hack risks, it's it's just bad for the culture, you know. So mm. there is that as well. Yes. So why a wallet? Why aren't privacy coins good enough? So. I think I think the pro- the main problem with privacy coins is that historically they had you know ten- tensions with centralized exchanges, um, so it's it's it might be quite challenging for users to move their funds in and out um, using privacy coins. Um, and you know so, so th- th- there is definitely a level of friction there, um, and same goes for you know privacy chains um, like secret secret uh, like secret for example. Um, users also have to bridge in and bridge out, and sometimes it takes quite a long time for them to do so. So for us, you know, we thought that wallet is such a foundational layer of crypto. It's when you think about wallets and crypto, I, I, I like to think about it the same way as, you know, browsers in web two are kind of similar to wallets in web three in the sense that, you know, it, it's a door for a wider world of, you know, either internet or crypto in our case. So it makes a lot of sense to provide privacy on, on a very basic foundational layer um, so that, you know, users, they, they get their privacy through the wallet in the very beginning and then everything that they go afterwards um, is private by default. I think the point about how privacy coins um, are often um, 
don't often don't have a very good relationship with centralized exchange is pretty interesting. I think uh, recently there's a piece of news about how uh, Monero fanboys are trying to do a bank run on centralized exchanges to test if centralized exchanges are really holding that amount of a Monero that they claim to be holding. So there's definitely a point there. So uh, let's talk a little bit about how uh, Block Wallet. So what is the architecture? How does it work? So if we talk about Block Wallet, um, and we don't, you know, we're, we're, we're not talking about privacy features. It works in a very similar way that MetaMask does. It's a non-custodial wallet. You can go to any DApp that you like. You can connect there and you can interact with the DApp. Um, again, if you're not using any privacy features, uh, the interaction is going to be exactly like MetaMask. You'll be able to go on either scan. You'll see every, every transaction, you know, on either scan. So everything is, is transparent. Now, when we talk about privacy features, that's that's where you know we get our edge. Um, so, for example, privacy pools. I think it's our one of our core features um, of our wallet. Um, and the way privacy pools work, uh, it's pretty much a zk snark smart contract that allows people to deposit funds um, and then uh, withdraw those funds with a different wallet, um, but in a way that you know they pretty much can provide the proof that they deposited the funds without, you know, um, giving any information about the wallet addresses or amounts or anything like that. Um, so that's one thing. Uh, we also have, you know, IP protection for our users, uh, which really shines, especially on the background of the news of, you know, MetaMask banning um, Iranian and Venezuelan users uh, to access Ethereum network, which is really sad to me because, again, the reason I joined crypto was because I was really excited about, you know, a tech that was, you know, designed to serve the underserved. And right now it's, it, it just feels like we're going backwards. Like we're, we're literally taking those underserved people and we use them as leverage in order to, you know, for, for like political reasons or whatever. Um, and so with us, those users, those users don't really have that issue that they do have with MetaMask. And the reason is that before we send our request to the nodes, it goes through the IP uh, through through proxies. And so those proxies obfuscate the IP of the user and the node provider don't get to see where the user is coming from. Um, so that's that's another thing. Um, a third would be um, front running protection. With, for that, we, we teamed up with Flashbots and we use their open ends. And so the way it works is um, instead of block wallet users transaction going to the public mempool, it goes to the private mempool and it gets mined there. Uh, the benefit here is that, you know, front running is a huge industry. Um, a lot of people lose a lot of money there. Um, so, so with, with the front running protection, it's, it's simply not possible because those transactions are not going through the public pool. So front runners are just simply not able to see those, um, those transactions. Okay. Um, and, and I think, one one more feature I'd like to, to mention is um, anti-phishing feature that we have. Um, and the way it works is we pretty much teamed up with um, with an NFT art artist. He created, you know, an algorithm that uh, can generate millions and millions of variations. And so each uh, block wallet user gets assigned, you know, a variation of an NFT uh, that, you know, he sees it on the wallet all the time. And so uh, the point of this feature is that if a user lands on a phishing website, sometimes those phishing, phishing websites, they try to emulate uh, 
the wallet UX UI. With this anti-phishing feature, the, the, the scammers, is, they just wouldn't be able to replicate the same pattern because they don't have the algorithm. They don't know how it works. Um, so that's, that's another really important uh, feature for us. So again, in, in terms of how it works, um, on a basic level, it's very similar to other non-custodial wallets, but our users can use additional features that we offer, uh, you know, to reach privacy, to save money, um, and just to be able to continue using blockchain no matter where, where they are in the world. I see. So I think um, I would like to learn a little bit more about the uh, structure and the architecture of Block Wallet. Uh, because as far as I know, the only privacy protocol that I'm familiar with is Tornado. So can you perhaps, uh, and, and as I understand from the docs, the Block Wallet architecture is somewhat similar to Tornado. Perhaps you can explain a little bit more about how it works and perhaps use, uh, tell us a little bit why uh, Block Wallet in itself is, is superior to Tornado as well. For sure. So I guess I would like to start with how Tornado Cash works. Um, in general. So the way it works is, um, let's say you have like a basket of apples, right? And you put one apple in and you take one apple out. The more apples in the basket, the more, you know, the more options you have to take an apple out. So it's, it's the same with, with Tornado Cash. It's all about how many people are using the protocol and how many deposits are going in and going out. Um, this is what we call an uh, anonymity set. So when we were building Block Wallet, we knew that we wanted to provide something, a feature similar to Tornado Cash, but we also realized that, you know, Tornado, Hash, uh, Tornado Cash has a lot of users. We, practic we practically had none. And so with no users, it's really hard to create the anonymity set that, you know, would be, um, would be enough for people to, you know, to use the feature. So we decided to use Tornado Cash smart contracts um, you know, to, to, to reach that anonymity set right away. Um, so with that, we do use their smart contracts right now. Uh, however, the transactions are going through our own relayers, which, you know, allows us to, to control the fee, collect the fee, um, pay for the gas, stuff like that. Um, and so, yes, for now, we do use Tornado Cash smart contracts, but I think, um, our, our, our grand plan is to, you know, move, move away from Trinero Cash eventually and have our own uh, smart contracts deployed. So, because, for example, if, if we're talking about, you know, blank token, obviously Trinero Cash doesn't have a privacy pool for a blank token, but I think this, this is something that we would like to have. I think this is something that, you know, the community has been requesting a lot. So it will make sense to deploy a contract for, for our token. And I think, you know, the further we go, the more contracts will deploy on different networks for different to for different tokens. So eventually we will move away from Tornado Cash, but I think it, it's going to happen as soon as we have, you know, a sufficient anonymity set to do so. Um, and so when you compare Tornado Cash to, to Block Wallet, I think the main difference is um, the user experience. I'm not sure if you've, if you've tried using Tornado Cash. Um, I've tried it a few times and it's, it's really complicated. Like the process, um, the process is really convoluted. It's like, you have to, you have to go to Tornado Cash. You have to deposit your ETH. Then, then it, it spits you out like a privacy note. You have to save that privacy note somewhere, somewhere safe. Um, then you have to, you know, uh, 
plugin from from another account and enter the the privacy node withdraw withdraw your your funds so it's it's a pretty lengthy process that you know it has many steps to it with us we we try to simplify it as much as we can uh it's literally a two step process you deposit the funds you withdraw it you don't worry about your privacy nodes it just happens on the back end um so in terms of you know usability i think our product is much more usable than tornado um yeah. Okay, that's that's fantastic. Definitely learned a bit of things there. So I think um, one of the problems that you guys, so from your answer, I think one of the problems you guys are facing is the, uh, the anonymity set that you guys have is not as big as Tornado. Yep. So which is why you need to take the anonymity set of Tornado and build that, build from that first. So that's, right. that's pretty interesting. So, so. Um, as I understand, Zeki plays a role in the architecture of your um, wallet, right? What is yep. the role? How does it how does it work? For sure. So, so our our privacy pools they use zk Snarks uh, smart contracts, and again, it's it's Tornado Cash uh, smart contracts. But the point is that um, those this, the zk Snark pretty much allows people to you know to make a deposit with one wallet and then withdraw this 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 one's with the with a different wallet and so the way it works you know when i mentioned the the privacy node that you know tornado users have to save it and so on and so forth what privacy node is it's it's pretty much um it's it's a string of hash and this string it, it's made up of two parts uh the first part is nullifier the second part is um is the hash itself um so sorry Um, so, so yeah, so the way it works is that, um, when a, when a person tries to withdraw their funds, they can use the privacy note, which pretty much proves the fact that they deposited a certain amount and that this amount hasn't been withdrawn yet. Um, and so with that, there is zero knowledge in the sense that, you know, a user doesn't provide their wallet address. They don't provide, um, you know, the amounts or anything like that. They simply say that we have deposited and we haven't withdrawn yet. Um, so, so that, that's how ZK Snarks work. And again, uh, we use, we use it for our, uh, privacy pools. And I think, you know, this is a very basic, uh, use of ZK Snarks. Um, cause, cause of course you can, you know, you can obfuscate funds and stuff like that, but you could also use this technology for, for other stuff, like, I don't know, uh, proving your identity or so on and so forth. Um, so for, for, for us, we're, we're using it for, you know, uh, for the financial, financial purposes. But again, this, this technology can be used for, for much more than that. It's really cool. So I want to talk a little bit more about the use of block wallet and the privacy enables in preventing the various attacks that you um, that a whale or a person who is doing very large trades or large transactions on chain, uh, how it would protect them. So, for uh, for those of us who are not familiar with MEV and front running, can you explain to us what is um, what is MEV, what is a sandwich attack, and what is front running? For sure. So, all sandwich attack, MEV, front running, it's it's pretty much the same thing. Um, yeah. We could, you know, we could talk about it for for quite a long time, but I'll I'll try to summarize it in in, in a short, you know, sentence. 
So long story short, front running is when you know you go on Uniswap and you, let's say you want to swap ETH for blank token. Um, when you do that, your transaction first goes to um, it goes to the public pool, and it's 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 waiting there to be mined by by the miners. So it's it's kind of like a queue of you know of of many transactions that are just waiting to get mined and and get um, into the block. What attackers do, they they go and they they look into this public pool. It's called mempool. They look into that pool and they see, okay, this person is trying to buy uh, this amount of blank with this amount of ETH, and so they they run their calculations. And you know everything is happening really quick, so it's 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 really robust algorithms. But they pretty much look at at the pending tra transactions in the mempool. They see, you know, the delta that they could steal from from the user because th there is usually slippage and you know stuff like that, and they pretty much they place two orders to buy and to sell, um, back to back, um, you know, before and after, uh, before and after the transaction that they're trying to attack. What that does, it it it, it creates you know volatility. Uh, a user ends up paying the worst price for for their order. Um, and then, you know, the price goes back to normal. It's a, it's, 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 it's a huge industry. You know, it's, it's a multi-million dollar industry in crypto that, um, a lot of people, they, they just don't realize that they'll lose money there. Um, and there is actually a great website where they can, anyone can go to and can check out, you know, how much money they've lost on sandwich attacks. Um, it's called sandwich, uh, sandwich WTF. Um, so you know it's 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 definitely it's definitely a concern for whales because obviously they they you know they play with larger uh, volumes so the losses are much higher but it's also a, an issue for you know for smaller players um again nobody likes to lose money um so yeah that's 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 pretty much uh, front running okay so if i understand it correctly the uh, whoever is uh, doing the attack sees uh, that you made a tra uh, that you're putting through a trade on the in the mempool, which could be sort of understood as a order book kind of thing. So it sees yep. that you're going through, and it knows that it is going to jack up the price. So they make a order that has a that has that would allow them to sell to you at that higher at that higher price or whatever by. Uh, they make that order, and the way they make that order go in front of your order is to incentivize the gas by push, incentivize the nodes to reorder their order in front of yours by bribing them and by pushing up the gas price that they're willing to process their order. Once That's they right. uh, get the money, once they uh, push the price, and then you go, your order goes through. They sell it, so they make a profit. So basically, that's the idea, right? Yep. So. I personally, thankfully, has not uh, experienced any of that, but I my condolences <laughs> to anybody who has experienced that. So, oh man, I have a lot of wallets that got tracked this way, but it is have what you it is, you know. Have you experienced and, it yourself? Yes, of course. It's I, I mean, it's 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 a really it's not that hard to come across, you know, front running. It's you know, it it happens to brand new tokens. It happens to you know to majors. Um, it's it, it's really easy to get caught in it. Um, ah, I suppose it's particularly prevalent when you have a lot of on-chain activity. Let's say, for example, when a token is being airdropped, people want to sell it before anybody else. And there's a lot of activity yep. and a lot of opportunity there, right? 
Actually, there was a great example recently with uh, Ape, Ape Coin, uh, the Bored Ape Yacht Club coin, right? So when they yeah. just launched it, um, I mean, I'm not sure if you can still go back to the chart and see those, you know, those spikes, but people were literally paying like millions of dollars for one coin at the time. And it's 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 not that, you know, they, they did it consciously. They they didn't know that they were going to pay such money for, for you know, for so little coins, but they, they, they just knew that there is a lot of, you know, a lot of movement, a lot of interest in the market. They didn't care about, you know, the price that they get in. They just wanted to get in. And front runners, they, you know, they knew that people had the psychology and they, they just executed on it. And so, oh. yeah, it's uh, when, when, when I was looking at the charts, it's, it's heartbreaking. It, it, people literally paying, you know, thou, like thousands and thousands and thousands of time, time more than, you know, the, the actual price of the token. So block wallet prevents that by masking the transactions you're sending. So they can't, so basically they can't see the mempool and they can't see the, in our analogy, the orders that you're putting into the order book. So they can't see it and then they can't calculate the attack that they will implement, that, that they will launch. Is that the idea? So, so we're not, we're not masking those. We're actually, mm-hmm. instead of sending those transactions to the public mempool, it goes to a private mempool. It gets, it gets mined in private so that, you know, no outsiders can see what's going on. And then once it gets mined, it goes to the block. And by the time it's inside the block, it's too late for, you know, for the attackers to, to, to do anything about it. I see. So, um, so I think that is very interesting. Let's talk a little bit more about um, what's next for Block Wallet. So what are your thoughts about the future development of privacy in crypto? And what is uh, next for Block Wallet's uh, roadmap? What do you have up on your sleeve? For sure. So we still have to, you know, deliver some of the core features that, you know, I, I, I think um, it's, 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 it's vital to, for, for the wallet to have this feature, such as, you know, hardware wallets for it, swaps um, and stuff like that. So these are the things that we're working on right now. Um, I think we'll deliver these features in the near future. Um, and then once, once the core features are done, um, we're going to, you know, to deliver staking. Uh, this is something our hold, token holders have been asking for a while. Um, our staking plot, platform is also probably going to have LP mining as well. So that, you know, um, we, we, we've been offering LP mining for, for a very long time, but up until now, we've been using, you know, third-party platforms for that. So with the staking platform, I think we'll be able to, you know, consolidate all those things under one roof. Um, and right now we're, you know, we're working with the team on, you know, reimagining tokenomics, um, finding the right market fit, you know, finding the right angles for marketing and stuff like that. Um, so there is a lot of, you know, like administrative work going on right now. Um, and of course, we're always, you know, working on uh, working on coming up with new innovative features, you know, that could save our users money, save our users time, uh, make, you know, the experience with crypto more uh, pleasurable and stuff like that. So, because again, we do see that DeFi um, and wallet landscape, it, it has a lot of room for improvement. And so we're currently uh, we're currently working with some with some people from academia, you know, who have PhDs and in you know cybersecurity and um, um, cybersecurity and um, crypto cryptography, 
And so with those guys who are working on, you know, uh, on security features that maybe could replace um, hardware wallets or maybe, you know, could, could, su could supplement hardware wallets. Um, but yeah, the, the, the idea is that, you know, if, if we talk about hardware wallets in general, I think it, there is very uh, small percentage of people who actually use those wallets and even smaller percentage of people who know how to use it, even though they have it. Mm -hmm. um, and so with us, we're, we just want to make crypto as easy as possible for, for the end user. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that, that's, that's something that we're trying to innovate right now. Another, uh, sorry, another thing I would like to mention is that, um, so recently there was this, you know, actually today this news came out about, you know, um, Apple Cloud and MetaMask and how there is a new phishing um, vector of attack uh, there. And so the, I, I think that happens because, you know, some wallets don't really care about how their users store their private keys and seed phrases. They, 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 they just want to make sure that, you know, a user creates a wallet and then off they go. So with us, we're, we're, we're trying our best to, you know, uh, to make, to make that experience better as well. Cause, cause again, every time I, I create a wallet, I, I have to take, I don't know, like a piece of paper or, you know, a, a metal seat, seat plate, and then I have to, you know, do the work and then worry about where to hide it. And, you know, me personally, I, I move a lot from like country to country. So for me to, you know, to take a, a metal plate and just to dig it in the ground, it's not really viable. So it's, it's even more headache. Um, mm. but, um, but yes, yeah, so, so, so what, what we're thinking of doing is that maybe integrations like one password or Bitwarden could, you know, could, could solve this headache for our users in a sense that they don't have to worry about like where to store their seed phrase, if it's going to get stolen or not, if it's going to get fished out or not, uh, they could use, you know, trusted players on the market and, you know, um, store, store their, store their information this way. Um, and so, yeah. So one, 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 one of the things that we're working on is that we're, we would like to integrate those things into the user onboarding flow so that, you know, the, the whole process is seamless. It's, there is no hassle, there is no friction. Um, that's, that's one of our main focuses right now. I think, um, it is definitely disappointing to me and probably to you as well. I'm sure that most users are not paying a lot of attention to privacy. I think the reason why that is because um, the erosion of privacy is not uh, tangible in any monetary sense. It doesn't cost anything, monetarily speaking, for me to sacrifice my privacy for something else, be it convenience or a free Facebook, uh, a free free Facebook account, and so on. Mm -hmm. So, so far, the push for uh, people to care more about privacy is really mostly through ideological sermons, through an evangelism of some kind. Basically, we lambast them, we persuade them, we beg them, we ask them, we convince, we try to convince them. But um, people are stubborn, just like how uh, other people have talked about the importance of digital cleanliness and hygiene. It has not really taken off. So what, in your opinion, is something that we can do further to make people take privacy seriously? For sure. I think it's important, you know, to differentiate privacy in Web2 and privacy in Web3, um, simply because 
the type of data that's being harvested in Web2 is it's drastically different than the type of data that's being harvested in Web3. So it's 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 a good thing that you mentioned, you know, free account with Facebook because the way Facebook makes money is of their users' data. You know, they 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 know what they like, they know who they follow, they know places that they go to, and so they're able to serve ads and stuff like that. So in, in that sense, I think I, I think it's it's um, economically for for the web two giants it's it's not interesting economically to you know to make people to care about privacy because again that's how they make money um and 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 again the type of the type of data that, that they collect it's 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 nothing you know it's 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 nothing too bad like it's it's your likes it's you know places you go to stuff like that with web three though it's 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 all about financial data and so with financial data i think it's 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 much more tricky than uh, you know, with, with uh, then your likes or follows and stuff like that. It, just, just because, you know, if, if someone gets, gets a hold of your, of your financial data and, you know, of other, you know, people in your country or, you know, state or whatever, it's really easy to control people when the, you control their funds, you know? So, mm. and, and I think it, it, it goes as far as, you know, um, you know, freedom of speech, freedom of thought and so on and so forth. Um, if you remember recently, there was a, there was a quite a big story in Canada where there were, you know, freedom protests against, you know, certain things. Um, and then Canadian citizens, they're supporting those, you know, those protests by sending them Ethereum, sending Bitcoin, sending, I don't know, donations, um, and stuff like that. Um, and so what happened at the end is that uh, the government came out with the emergency act. Um, and they pretty much said that uh, the banks are now able to, you know, freeze any account uh, for no rhyme or reason if they think that, you know, this account is associated with a terrorist, you know, moves or whatever. It, it should it should be frozen. Um, again, it's 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 quite concerning that they're, they're calling, you know, um, their own citizens, you know, terrorists and stuff like that. But it's also um, it's also concerning how how controlling they are as far as, you know, as far as financial decisions go. Um, and the problem is that uh, in, in the same breath, they also, uh, they, they also equalize banks and centralized exchanges. So centralized exchanges can do this exactly the same thing. If they think that, you know, a person is contributing to those freedom protests, they can just go ahead and freeze that account. And usually there is no way or uh, there is no process to, you know, unfreeze those funds. Um, I think once it's frozen, you're pretty much screwed. Um, so, so again, it, it, and, and the, the, this, this happens strictly because they, they, they collect your financial data. And so, you know, they, they collected the financial data of the people who, who supported the protest. And then they, they pretty much use that as a leverage against, uh, the protesters to, you know, to, to, to break, to break down the movement. Um, and, and that's exactly what I, what I mean when I talk about, you know, controlling people, controlling thoughts, controlling, you know, speech and stuff like that. Um, if, you know, if the government didn't, didn't have out the reach to, you know, to, to the financial instruments, they simply wouldn't be able to, to force people to, you know, not to support certain causes or whatever. Um, mm. So, so again, I, I think, I think it's really important to understand that data collection in Web3 is very different than data collection in Web2. Um, so that's one thing. And another thing, again, it, you know, it, it's not that it doesn't cost you anything to, 
to not care about your privacy on chain. It, it does cost you a lot of money. And, and again, we can go back to front running. We can go back to, you know, uh, geofencing and stuff like that. So I think, I think, you know, the more time we spend on crypto and the further we go, the more and more we we're going to see of, of, you know, these cases where um, privacy is really important, you know, um, not, not, not just, you know, in, uh, for individuals, but for, for nations in general. Um, and I think, I, th I think it's, I think it might take some time again, cause we, we just had 20 years of like web two data collection. People got used to it. You know, um, there is this attitude of, you know, I have nothing to hide. It's not about hiding. It's just, it, it's about having, you know, it's, it's about having a peace of mind. Cause again, mm -hmm. right, right now with, you know, with NFTs, for example, a lot of um, a lot of high profile and or a lot of blue chip NFTs now they offer you know merch and stuff like that. So and people are actually wearing this this merch in public, and you know since NFTs you know they made their way into into the masses. Um, I see a lot of my friends like in real life using NFT profile pictures on Instagram even, and so then you know you you get to see the NFT, you get to see the merch. Anyone can go on OpenSea, anyone can set up the filters, find the, the NFT, find the wallet. And then you have the Instagram with like, you know, all the pictures, all the geotags, really easy to find the person. So I think, I think privacy is important, you know, from the economical standpoint, but it's also important from, you know, just physical safety. You don't want to get invaded or anything like that. And especially, you know, with platforms like Scenehouse and Propy, who aim to uh, who aim to, you know, bring the real estate market on chain, I think it's becoming even more important because now mm. you have your residential address on your Ethereum wallet with your, you know, with your home value and your NFTs and your tokens. And now, you know, anyone, anyone could go to your wallets, like literally see your address, see how much tokens you have, see what NFTs you have. And then, you know, the rest is up to them. So, Physical safety is, is a huge factor here, I think. And, um, you know, if, if, if people are not getting invaded right now as much, it, it doesn't mean that the, the, they never will. Um, I think what it means is that, you know, the, the bad actors, they just, they're not technical enough right now. So they're just not able to use, you know, either scan or OpenSea, uh, you know, for, for their bad purposes, but it doesn't mean that they're not going to learn these things. Um, so I, th I, th I think it's really important to, well, physical safety is very important. Nobody's going to argue about that. And, you know, with, with the way the space is developing, I think it's, it's important to care about your privacy on chain because that leads to your physical privacy. I think I definitely agree with all of that. And on the point of, um, how money is speech, I think that is, um, I think that is, that point is very, uh, clearly argued by one of the Supreme Court cases, Citizens United versus FEC, money spent is free speech. In many cases and in many circumstances, you cannot speak effectively and be heard effectively if you don't spend money. And what is what is the point of speaking if it cannot be translated into action? Presumably, when we want to speak, it is because we believe in something good and something important, something nice, something beautiful, and we want to realize it. But if we're stifled and castrated in our action, as much as we are in our speech, 
then what is the point of it? And I suppose that point about Canada, although it might probably offend some people's political sensitivities, I suppose the same point can be applied to Ukraine, right? Of course, of course. Yeah, yeah. Of course, so, and, 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 and you know, I, I know for a fact that, um, I know for a fact that Russian legis legislative, they, they don't allow people to contribute to, you know, Ukrainian funds and, you know, Ukrainian, I, I think even Red Cross is like under the question. So uh, in, in that sense, it's, it's, it's a, I think it's a terrible situation when, you know, a lot of people are not agree with, with what the government does, but there is no way for them to, you know, to do anything about it. They, they can't even send their money. They're literally like helpless in this sense. So, yeah, I, I think that's, that's a great example. And, you know, it's, I think I think Ukraine. What what happened to Ukraine? It's it's just really like we can see the impact because you know crypto is at you know at the stage that it's at right now. But there has been a lot of uprisings in the past, and it's just crypto wasn't that prominent. But I think the more uprisings we see in the future, they're going to be more and more associated with crypto as well. So definitely gotta definitely gotta keep it clean um, for sure for sure. And I think the point about geofencing is also very interesting because like for the past 10, like for the past two to three years, I would say that the use of VPNs in so-called Western liberal democracies, you know, the usual places where everybody's supposed to be safe and free. I think the adoption of VPNs has gone up drastically simply because people are feeling things are not going right and they are feeling, they are probably, they probably feel threatened. And I feel that the case for um, for privacy to privacy uh, protocols, be it wallets or tokens or chains, I think will also undergo a similar evolution. What worries me is whether that evolutionary time frame will be too short. We probably want it to be adopted in the same way and in the same time frame as crypto becomes mainstream. We don't want it to be something that gets adopted after beca crypto becomes mainstream. We want sure. it to become mainstream along with crypto. So, and you know, it's it's interesting that you mentioned those Western countries because I, I just find it really interesting when you know when I talk to the devs in this space, and it's 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 really interesting how you know if you talk to developers from from Europe, for example, they'll have their name, they'll have their last name, LinkedIn profile, the f like full full on. But when you talk to you know <laughs> to the devs from the states. They're usually unknown. They usually have NFTs as their profile pictures, no real names, <laughs> no cameras, no nothing. So, and and I I think it's not that you know they they want to hide like that. I think they're just forced to do that because you know if they don't, they're gonna get hassled. Um, yeah. Yep. I want to end this podcast with one last uh, speculative and um, hopefully fun question. So I think one of the uh, of all the uh, privacy implementations and protocols and projects out there, we have already seen uh, well tornado cash, some kind of a mixer. We have already seen wallets. We have seen privacy chains. One thing, one ancient technology that preserves privacy has not yet been tried, and I would say that is cash. We have not seen cash. We have not seen crypto cash. We have not seen physical crypto coins, except for the ones that we've seen in very early 2021, 20, where you store a Bitcoin into mm -hmm. a, well, a coin that has okay, yeah. a, um, that has a, uh, a, a that, that stores it. It basically is a private key. We haven't seen that yet. Do you have any ideas? Uh, do you have any thoughts on this implementation and whether it will become a real thing or are we just going to see the death of cash? 
honestly, I the more I think about it, the more I find cash to be it's good to have in a sense that you know it, it definitely provides you with privacy and everything. But I, I think the way the world is working today, there is less and less need for that. Um, mm. A great example would be again, I'm going to go back to Canada because I think it's it's one of the countries that is leading in terms of you know um, digital payments and stuff like that. It's very rare that you'll find people who actually like, carry cash there simply because there is no need for that. And so I think I think the further we go with crypto, the more we're going to go away from cash. But mm. that being said, you know, um, cash, like physical cash, like might not be in use, but like people are still going to use banks probably and stuff like that. So I, I think, I think um, you know, as far as, regulating off-ramps and on-ramps will see a lot of changes there um but I, I i think i think that's 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 as much as i i can say here one of the things that got me into crypto was a wonderful book a history of money by jack weather fantastically well written very beautiful prose although he mentioned nothing about crypto it talked extensively about currency debasement done by various regimes especially um, by the roman empire by various german kings during the prussian during some Prussian wars that I can't remember, and eventually, of course, the U.S. And, of course, it talked about the confiscation of gold in 1933 by Executive Order 6102. And from that, I'm, uh, of course, reminded of the various monetary policies enacted by uh, various Chinese regimes throughout history. For example, Zhuge Liang's um, forcible exchange of uh, every five jewel coins into 100, essentially debasing the the, the uh, the monetary, the monetary system inside Shuhan, or the Yuan Dynasty's um, massive money printing to fuel their um, invasion of Southern Song and eventually Korea and Japan. So in face of that context, to me, the centralized digital, uh, centralized, the central bank digital currency, CBDC, is the next piece of monetary magic in the state's repertoire of tools to further tighten um, the control over the economy and so on. As they say in the World Economic Forum, uh, World Economic Foundational Forum, you will have nothing and you will be happy. So, what do you think that the privacy? Um, what do you think that the privacy block wallet grants to? What, what do you think in terms of this? Like, how can block? How can the privacy granted by block wallet help protect users in face of this um, macroeconomic trend? For sure. So, you know. Before I begin, I, I, I would like to kind of go back to the gold confiscation that you mentioned. And I think it's really, really, really similar to, you know, the narrative that some legislations are trying to push right now as far as, you know, non-custodial wallets go and stuff like that. Because I think well, when you think about non-custodial um, non wallets and, and keeping funds on non-custodial wallets, it's really similar to, you know, keeping your gold in the safe at home versus you know keeping the gold at, at, at the bank or whatever um so yeah I, I just find this um this you know this similarity really interesting um but as far as cbdc's um you know i think i think it's one of the big reasons at least for me to continue working on block wallet and continue working in, in the privacy sector and, and and all that and the reason is because what frightens me about crypto today is the fact that MetaMask is really, well, first of all, like 
MetaMask has quite a you know monopoly on on the wallet market right now. And with that being said, they also have quite a monopoly on you know on the Ethereum uh, transactions that you know go through through the chain and stuff like that. And so that being said, it's it's quite concerning that there is a really close connection between MetaMask and Infura, which also has quite a monopoly on you know node operators in in the space. Yeah, and even furthermore. Speaking yeah. of that, I'm sure you remember that time where we had all had a scare where people said that, oh, MetaMask is no longer onboarding or receiving, uh, dealing with transactions for people in Venezuela and Iran to comply with sanctions, right? Yeah. I think that scared a lot of people. A lot. And and again, it's it's going back to, to like what I said in the very beginning. It's like the reason I joined the space is because I, I was really excited about, you know, helping people who are, who are not a part of, of the financial um, of the financial, you know, system and providing them with tools to, you know, to be a part of it. Um, it's, it, it was really nice to see that, you know, the space was working towards inclusion and, you know, providing opportunities and all that. Right now, it feels like we're, we're going backwards. Right now, it feels like, you know, those people becoming a leverage for something else. So it's, it's, it's really sad. But, but again, so... Um, and, and 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 that happened because because you know because Infura Infura decides to you know follow the regulations, which is really fair. But again, it's 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 kind of heartbreaking to see. But 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 so yes, MetaMask and Infura they both they both are really close related to Consensus and like Consensus owns them, right? And and so it's it's also not a secret that Consensus is working with you know, government agencies on, you know, testing and int- introducing CBDCs and stuff like that. And so for me, the problem with CBDCs is that um, with digital cash, like you do have the option to program it in a way where, you know, you allow certain, you allow, you allow this digital cash to be spent on certain things and not allow it to be spent on other things. So, for example, you could allow people to to spend this cash for, you know, like groceries, rent and stuff like that. But you could say that, you know, now you guys cannot use it to use, I don't know, to to pay for VPNs or pay for, I don't know, to to, to support the causes that you like to support, so on and so forth. Um, And and that goes back to, you know, to, to the financial control that goes back to the freedom of speech, the freedom of thought and so on and so forth. And so for me personally, it's it's it's. It's it's a huge it's a huge problem today, and it's it's also the main drive for me to you know to continue working in the space, especially with Block Wallet because, you know, with Block Wallet we're we're trying to reimagine the whole flow. So with us, we don't use Infura, for example. We we're partnering up with, with node providers and you know with uh, with uh, um, what do you call them uh, with uh, IP proxies and stuff like that. And also, we're working with another team. Uh, it's called OmniaTech. Uh, the website mm-hmm. is omniatech.io. The point of, of this project is that they're creating a private node infrastructure for mining and non-mining mode, uh, nodes, which is most important, I think, because again, non-mining mo- nodes they don't really have any incentive to you know to do anything about privacy, but now they do, and so it's really exciting because for us it, it allows us to you know to not to use, um, you know, th- those big node providers like Infura and, and opt in for something with a better architecture, um, and and so, so, 
I think it's really important for people to have these options because if they don't, you know, consensus is just going to have too much power over crypto users. It's going to be really easy for them to work with the government agencies. It's going to be really easy for them to, you know, to push their narrative. And then, I mean, right right now, it, like, you know, it, it might it might not look scary to, you know, to, to people, eh, CBDCs, it's whatever, you know, what's the difference between CBDCs and having, you know, numbers in your banking app or whatever. But I think it's, 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 it's actually quite, quite dangerous uh, because, again, it can be programmed in a way where people can spend the, their money on certain things and they cannot spend it on other on other things. And with that being said, I think, you know, the the problem of uh, cash going obsolete, it's 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 also quite concerning because, again, cash is such a it's such a financial instrument that, you know, cannot be traced, cannot be tracked. It's, it's paper, you know, it's like nobody knows where it is. So you're pretty much free to do whatever you want with it. Um, but again, with CBDCs, there might be a lot more constraints as far as, you know, how how, how you can spend your money, uh, which is really dangerous. Um, so from, 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 from our end, that's, that's what we're doing. We're trying to build, you know, a system that does not rely on uh, monopolies today. Uh, we're trying to provide people with uh, another option. Uh, we're hoping that this option is more user-friendly, it's more private, it's more secure. Um, so that's that's what we do from our end here. Thank you very much. Well, thank you very much for uh, joining me on this podcast. If you find thank this you, um, interesting, listener, well, join us on the uh, podcast, subscribe and uh, say, and follow us. Follow the Block Wallet on their Twitter, Medium and Discord. And we will see you all soon again. Thank you very much. Thank you.